0: We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Mani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Mani. Let's open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we pick it up in verse 13. Look what Paul writes. In contrast to those who are perishing, he says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, in which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord jesus christ now verse 13 and 14 is paul thanking god for the genuine salvation of the saints in thessalonica he's uh... thanking god for the salvation and he's also teaching a little bit about salvation and so watch when we get into that it's really cool salvation and so it's kind of a teaching that transitions into a warning look at verse 15 he says therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or our epistle you see the background to the the thessalonian church was they were going through persecutions because they were christians Uh, maybe even to the point of executions man people were dying because they were christians and so they were more susceptible to false teaching. The false teachers came in, said the day of the Lord had already happened, and they were buying into false teaching. And, and Paul here, after teaching a little on, on salvation and how God had invested in them, he warns them, stay on track, man. Stay on track. Stand firm. Hold to the Bible. And hold to the work that God's doing in your work. And it's kind of a warning because the enemy's trying to, to take us down. And so, this is how we help people. Paul is writing, Paul is fighting in his writing. He loves the Thessalonian church, and so he writes to them, teaching them, warning them, and then praying for them in verse 16. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. This is, this is how we help people. They're hurting, they're going through difficult times. Teach them. Teach them the Bible. This is how we help people stay on track or get back on track. We warn them about how the enemy is trying to knock them down and pull the Bible out of their hands, hearts, and heads. And then we pray for them. Lord, um, be with my brother, be with my sister, be with this family that are going through such a difficulty. It's so cool when you look at this right here because, you know, we want to help people because at the end of the day, and I I attended uh, two funerals this last week, you know, people die and then they go on either to heaven or hell. We want people to go to heaven. We want people to know the Lord and experience heaven while they live. We know there's a battle going on. You know, if I could just share with you this fact that we're in a battle, the Bible even says we're wrestling with our enemy. How many of you guys wrestle, just out of curiosity? All the guys have wrestled at one time or another, right? Just out of curiosity, any girls here wrestle? Once in a while you see it, right? Right? I'm just saying, I think that you can relate to this. You know, we're wrestling with the enemy. Now, if you've ever gone to a wrestling match, what you'll find is you've got two guys that are standing up. They're both standing up. They start the match. The objective of the opponent is to take down his enemy, so to speak. And that's exactly what's happening right now in the Christian life. You know, we have our adversary, we have our opponent with an objective. We're both standing right now, but he wants to take us down. The reason why he wants to take us down, if you've ever wrestled, you'll know this, is because he wants to control you. Because once he can take you down, he rides you, he controls you. And if he can control you, then he will defeat you. I mean, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you, write those things down, what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take us down, he wants to control us, and he wants to defeat us, right? And when you look at the Thessalonian letters, we know that the strategy of the enemy was pretty simple. Like, how does he take us down? How does he control us? How does he defeat us? And let's get real practical on this. Number one is persecution. Persecution, whether it be physical or some type of an emotional persecution, uh, we know our brother James here is a pastor in Nigeria. He's here studying. His uh, his family lives in northern Nigeria where there is persecution to the point of execution. Pastors are being killed. People are being killed because they're Christians. Today, in the world that we live in, more people are dying for their faith than ever before. We might not be experiencing that type of persecution here, but it's coming. Unless something changes. Right? And so what the enemy does is he'll physically persecute in order to try to bring people to the point of not wanting to follow the Lord. Paul even said causing them to blaspheme, right? Sometimes the persecution is not just physical. Sometimes it's more emotional. It could be someone yelling at you. It could be somebody, you know, uh, just giving you a hard time because you're committed to Jesus Christ. You know, that's how the enemy will take us down, control us, defeat us. Another thing he uses is not just persecution but deception or false teaching. And so the enemy will come in with something that's completely unbiblical and he'll try to take us down that way. That's why it's so important that you know your Bible and you read your Bible and you study it yourself. You guys all have Bibles. If you don't, let us know. We'll give you one. Read it, read it, read it, read it. That way you can test everything you hear, everything you read, even what you hear from this pulpit. Because the enemy will come in and he'll deceive. This is how he defeats. This is how he takes down and this is how he controls. And then the third thing is through temptation. First persecution, then deception Then temptation. And he's got this guy over here, a beautiful calling on his life. And next thing you know, some Bathsheba comes into his life and she's dressed a certain way. He's just not strong enough. She's too hot to handle. Next thing you know, he falls into sexual sin and he falls out oftentimes of the plans that God had for his life. He was defeated like Samson by sin. And it could be any other sin. It could be, you know, pride. It could be money. It could be anything. But I'm telling you this, the enemy, he wants to take you down. He wants to control you. And he wants to defeat you. And this is why we have a church. Because what we want to do together, not just from the pulpit, but in our fellowship, together we're teaching, together we're warning, and together we're praying so that God would give victory in every single life that God has brought into our hearts. That's my prayer. And so, right here, as Paul is fighting, as Paul is writing, notice there in verse 13, he's teaching, and he's grateful for salvation that they've experienced. Look again there in verse 13. But we are are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, be loved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Paul is so grateful for their genuine salvation. They're really saved. And he's so grateful for that because, you know, that doesn't happen every day. You know, for those of you who are really saved, you know what I'm talking about. You know how there was a time where you didn't understand spiritual things. There was a time when we were dead there was a time when we didn't understand the Bible. We didn't want to go to church. There was nothing about it. But then God came in and he saved us. And you see some people and you're just, you know, you're, sometimes you're not sure. You know, they, they go to church, uh, but you don't really see that spiritual fruit in their life. But then there's those times where you see it. And you know it's real. And you know it's a miracle. And so you're grateful. That's what Paul was. He was so grateful for their genuine salvation. He writes about it in his first letter, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 5. In, he writes about it in his second letter, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. A similar word, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. The word bound, it means I'm indebted. I just i am so grateful to God. I have to thank him for the work that he's done in my wife, and in my kids, and in my friends, and in my family. And how God has used so many of your lives to save souls. Thank you, Jesus. That's where Paul was. What we find, you guys, is that Paul was grateful to God, because God had sowed good seed, so Paul owed gratitude. And he says right there, um, In verse 13, that we're bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God shows you in the beginning for salvation through sanctification. You know, what he's doing is he's grateful to God and he's telling them that. But I think at the same time, he's teaching them about salvation. You know, you can never get enough reminders about it. It doesn't matter if you've been saved 37 years. It doesn't matter. It's so good to know the doctrine of salvation. It's so good to know, they call it soteriology. It's so good to know, and we can't know everything right here, right now, but we just remind ourselves, we learn new things about how it all started. You know, how did your salvation start? You want to know how it started? With the love of God. The love that God has for you. That's what he says. We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. That's how it all started. I mean, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We know Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own unique, one-of-a-kind love, and that while we're still sinners, you know, Christ died for us. That's the type of love that he has. You know, have you ever heard that saying, love makes the world go round, and it's true? But you can also say love helps lives turn around, back around to where they belong when they really understand and they begin to contemplate and meditate and it permeates their soul, that even though I'm a wicked and wretched man, that God loves me. That's how it all started. You know, loved by God, he says in this doctrine of salvation. You know, I'm reminded of that that song, you know, by David Crowder. He is jealous for me. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and his mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And then he goes on and he says, you know, you guys know, right? Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how. He loves us. How oh, he loves us. You know a lot of people think God's mad at them. God's mad at them. No, God's madly in love with you. And Paul's teaching them. Paul's grateful for them. It started with love. Uh, you got to know about this salvation. That God loves you, not because we're lovely, but because he's a lover, but his love is real. And then the Bible says right here, here that he chose us. In the beginning, it says right here, God chose us for salvation. You know, We read the same thing in Ephesians 1 verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of Of the world. And if you ever think about that, some people say the world's 6,000 years old, 10,000 years old. We don't know for sure, right? But before uh, he ever flung a star into the sky, he looked down the quarters of time and he chose you. He chose you to himself. I always tell people we're chosen by the Father before time began. That's how we're saved. We're saved by the Son when he died for us on the cross of Calvary. We're saved by the Holy Spirit. The moment, the instant that we pray to receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. But we are chosen by the Father. You are chosen by God. You know, whenever you read these passages that were chosen by God, please understand the intention is to instill a thrill of gratitude that God actually chose you. You know, and you might look at yourself. Maybe you're here, and you're looking at yourself, and you're thinking, "Yeah, God chose me. That makes sense." Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't. I think, man, God, why would you choose me? I fall short. I am short. Um, (laughs) I'm overweight, and I'm overrated. I have gray hairs. I have nose hairs. I think I even have ear hairs. And (laughs) if if not, I know they're coming, God. But I know you chose me. Ah, uh, I'm wicked, I'm wretched, I was your enemy. I'm so unfaithful, and yet you chose me. You knew my fallings even before I fell. You knew it before you chose me, but you still chose me. You see, the Bible clearly teaches that we are chosen by God. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven through 28, God has chosen the foolish things of the world He's chosen the weak things of the world, he's chosen the despised things of the world. Uh, James chapter two, if any if you're here today and you don't have a lot of money in your bank account, maybe you're broke or bankrupt, James chapter two, verse five says God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. You know, first Peter two four, if you've ever been rejected by man, first Peter two four says you're rejected by men, but you're chosen by God. And first Peter chapter two verse five. It says, we, the church, are chosen generation. How beautiful that we are chosen by God. And, and I pray that would just sink in, would just give you a heart of gratitude. But at the same time, you know, we have to understand, just like any other love relationship, you know, we also chose God. He chose us and, and we chose Him. You know, we read in Revel, jo- Joshua chapter 24, Verse 15, and it's Joshua said, if it seems evil to you serve the, to serve the Lord, he says, choose for yourselves. You see, God chose you, now you've got to choose God. I don't know if you ever experienced it growing up. I know I did uh, too many times where I chose the girl and she didn't choose me. Did you guys ever do that? It only happened a couple of times. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> you know, and so God chooses us. God loves you. Do you love him? Joshua said, choose for yourselves. You got to make that choice. Who are you going to serve? He said, as for me, my house will serve the Lord. That was the choice. Moses had given them the same option in Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Which do you choose? Life and death, blessing and cursing. Which do you choose? He says, choose life for you and your family. And we make those choices. Paul was grateful to God for their salvation. And he he tells them a little bit about it. He's teaching them because he wants to help them. Let me tell you about salvation, how much God loves you, how much he's invested in you. Number one, he loves you. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. And then number two, three, he gave you the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is salvation. He chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. And so God comes and the Holy Spirit comes to your life. The Holy Spirit comes to your life and begins to convict you of your sin and He's with you. And He draws you to God and you get saved. And then, if that's not enough, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. You're the temple of God. And he lives in you. This is the salvation that we have. He's so grateful to God that the saints are sincere there in Thessalonica. And he wants to remind them, man, don't ever forget what God has done, how he loves you, how he chose you, and how he's given you the spirit of God. And that spirit of God is there working. All you got to do is surrender. All you got to do is cooperate Cooperate with that spirit, and he will make you more and more like Jesus. He will make you more and more the man or the woman that you need to be. It's a sanctification, it's a setting apart of, of for his exclusive use. How did it happen? We read next in verse 13 that we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification, it says, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. I mean, how did you get saved? Did you have to do a thousand push-ups, jump through hoops, stand on your head till your ears are red? No, right? How did you get saved? Did you have to maybe come? Imagine if they told you, in order to get saved, you have to come to church a hundred times. You know, we'd be counting, right? Hey, I'm almost saved, right? (laughs) How did you get saved? You just believed. You believed in the truth. What a contrast to those who don't believe. If you go back to 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 12, it said that they might be condemned who did not believe the truth. You know, praise God that Thessalonians understood the truth, and in that place, they understood that Jesus is the truth, and as a result of that, they were saved. It's so cool to know that salvation is a salvation in where God has done the work, and he sent his son, and Jesus was nailed to a cross, and all our sins were placed on him, past, present, future, and then they placed him in the grave, and they thought he was dead, but he conquered death. And he came back, and he rose again, and he makes us as white as snow. And now that happens, we're, we're, we're believers, we're blood-bought believers. We believe the truth, and we're saved. You know, what happened, even to get even more detailed, is there in verse 14, he says, To which he called you by our gospel, for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know somewhere in time, somewhere along the line someone told you that simple message they they gave you the gospel. you know for Paul and these guys, they had taken the gospel to Thessalonica in Acts chapter seventeen in the second missionary journey and and they got saved and and the same is true for us Someone told us the truth about Jesus. Someone told us about Jesus being the truth himself and then we believed and we were saved and we remember that, you know, that, that gospel that saved us and that gospel that we need to take out to other people. You know, I encourage you to share the gospel with others, even if you feel like you're not the best person or you're not the best preacher. Now, I'm not telling you to endorse in any way hypocrisy, but don't ever let the enemy tell you not to speak. Because there is power in the gospel, and people get saved. That's how they got saved. That's how they believe the truth. Oh, we might not be eloquent. It doesn't matter. We might not be preachers, you know, like C.H. Spurgeon. I, I, I think of this guy, C.H. Spurgeon, and I'm blown away. They considered him the greatest preacher of the 19th century. And this guy right here, he read uh, six books every week. He pretty much memorized them. Before he was 20 years old, he preached, to six, uh, he preached to 600 people. By the time he was 20 years old, he preached 600 sermons. Uh, before he died, he preached to 10 million people. Every Sunday, he would preach to 6,000 people without microphones. <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing what God did through this man. One time, he was in an auditorium, and he was just checking the acoustics, And so he wanted to hear how it sounded. He had one of those voices, not like mine, right? He had a real strong voice, right? And so he tested the acoustics and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And in doing so, there was a guy that was working up on the rafters. He got saved. (laughs) There's something about Spurgeon, but there's something more about the gospel. Uh, one time, C.H. Spurgeon's grandfather, James, he was preaching because C.H. Spurgeon was late for the service that day, and so they said, oh, okay, well, you go ahead and preach. And, uh, and eventually, Spurgeon came in, and the grandpa said, okay, my grandson is here, he might be able let me. but let me tell you this, he might be able to preach the gospel better, but he cannot preach a better gospel You just go to that person that God brings into your life. You go to that person that's hurting, that's struggling. You just go to them and you just tell them, Jesus loves you. You need Jesus. Man, we've all blown it, but I'm here to tell you that Jesus, in Jesus, there is forgiveness of your sins. You preach the gospel. You tell them it's so simple. All you have to do is turn, be willing to turn. Just be willing to let go of those things that are ruining your life. Be willing to let go of those sins. I mean, you know, it could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend that's not really a Christian. And here you are, you know, the Lord's calling you to him. And there's this, you know, this guy in your life or this girl in your life, and they're not really Christians. And God says, well, you know what? You shouldn't be with them. I, I command you. I forbid you not to be unequally yoked. And a lot of times people are like, well, God, you know, he likes to take away all my fun. No. He loves you and he knows that that's not good for you. Right? I remember I read one story about these uh, two tears that were crying and crying and crying. And, uh, and one of them was named Sylvia. The other was named Sybil. I don't know if that means anything. And, and they're crying and crying. She's like, why are you crying, Sybil? Oh, because Johnny left me. She was crying and crying and crying. Have you ever been there? And then she kind of musters up some strength. Why are you crying, Sylvia? Oh, because I have Johnny. (laughs) I'm telling you this. God, God wants you to be blessed with the man or the woman that God has made for you. And the only reason God would say no to this or anything, the only reason God would say repent of your sins is because it's just not good for you. But you repent of your sins and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved today. This is how they got saved. They got saved with the gospel. Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And sometimes we're arguing with people. We're arguing with people, hey, you don't believe in the deity of Christ, or you don't believe in whatever your case may be, whatever, your, whatever you got on your sleeve. And, and the reality is, don't argue with them, just share Jesus with them because they're not going to really come to that place of believing and understanding the Trinity until they get saved. That's why Paul said, when he went to Corinth, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ. And him crucified. And so I want to encourage you guys. Imagine if all of us here went out and told people about Jesus. Man, imagine what God would do. You see, what God wants to do is God wants to give them the gospel so that they would go, look at verse 14, to glory, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You ever think about heaven? everything about the glory of heaven. I mean, we live in a fallen state, and I look out here and I just think, wow, it's beautiful, this sunset and these clouds and these hills, beautiful. But it's nothing compared to the glory of heaven. One day we'll be there. We will see the glory of God. You know, yesterday I got to attend a funeral and just share a few words, and I was just blown away by this life of a lady named Olivia, at five years old, she was an orphan. And so she lived with her godmother until she was about 13 or 14 years old. She was born in El Salvador, and so they placed her in a a, a convent. And she was there in the convent, and they taught her how to garden, they taught her how to cook, they taught her a few things. They taught her how to pray in Latin. Even though she never understood it, she was able to pray in Latin. (laughs) But then about 30 years old, uh, she she left the convent. She went and she had a little girl. Um, Next thing you know, she goes, single mom, works hard, take care of her little girl. She finds a job as a nanny. And life just goes on and on and on. And then what happened at the age of 51 years old, she came over to the United States of America. Three years later, her daughter came. Ten years later, at the age of 61, someone invited her to church. And that day, she accepted the gospel and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. And God came into her life. And she began to serve the Lord for another 34 years. Faithful. She never left the church she was at. She was the gardener to the very end, 93 years old, taking care of all the flowers, beautiful, beautiful, godly woman. And then I was there sharing, feeling so unworthy, so humbled, because here was a glorious woman who was in glory. And then they put her body in the ground. And the Bible says that in First Corinthians fifteen that we saw a, a terrestrial body It's like a seed. It gets put into the ground. But one day it rises up into a celestial body. Into a glorious body. A body that will live in everlasting glory. See, this is salvation. And Paul wants to help them. So he teaches them. But then, he also warns them. Look at verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. He says to to stand fast, to stand firm, to hold on to the teachings of the truth. You know, don't let the enemy... Take you down. Stand firm and don't go after these false teachers who are not called or commissioned by God. Don't go and don't let go. Hold fast, hold tight, stand firm on these teachings that are true. You know, we see this two-word combination found often in the New Testament. It was so important to Paul that we read in First Thessalonians chapter three, verse eight. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. He had a shepherd's heart. He wanted them to stay on track. He wanted them to stay standing. He wanted them to hold tight to the truth. So much so that he said, man, now I live. If I know you guys are okay. You know, and it might be a teaching that wants to strip you away of your freedom or, or unity, really just anything that would tempt us to live unbiblically. You know, if I were to give you guys a visual of this, uh, I already gave you the visual of two guys standing. And there's another one, because uh, he says, hold fast. And it really means hold fastened. And if I could just tie this, it's like, I'm going to hold on to my Bible. And the enemy is going to try to pull this out of my head and out of my heart and out of my hands. But I will not let him pull my Bible out of my heart. I will stand on this truth because there is a tug of war. He wants to take that Bible, wants to put it on the shelf, it collects dust. No, and yet God wants us to saturate ourselves in the scriptures. And God wants us to read it and heed it and love it and live it and learn it. You hold tight to the truth. You know, Paul told them the things that you've heard from me orally and the things that I've written to you, the letters, that he could say that because he is an apostle with a capital A. Everything about the New Testament is apostolic. But now we don't have that. Now we don't stand fast necessarily on what we're hearing or what we're reading other than the Bible. If your message is in line with the Bible, then you're good. But be careful, and that's why I always encourage you guys, test everything, even from this pulpit, to make sure that it lines up with Scripture. Because the enemy will come in, and he'll try to tear it out. But I encourage you to read it, read it, read it for yourself. You know, when I first was a Christian, you know, all I did was read the sports page. You know, and still there's that temptation, how did the Lakers do I mean, like, who really cares? I mean, not in this year anyways, you know? I mean, (laughs) when they're doing good, don't you kind of want to watch it more? So it's kind of good that they're not doing good. But anyways, you know, and I, I never read. But man, when I became a Christian, I started falling in love with the Bible. You see, we have to have this teaching in order to stay on track. We have to have these warnings in order to stay on track. And we have to have a people that are praying in order to stay on track. That's what Paul does. And I I just am so blessed. He says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father who has loved us, there it is again, and given us an everlasting comfort, consolation, and good hope by grace. May that God, who has done everything for us, may he comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I mean, he's just appealing to Almighty God. And he mentions the Son and the Father. is interesting, just as a quick side note, Um, This is one of the few places where in the grammatical clause, the Son is mentioned first. There's a plurality of subjects, but there's a singularity in verbs, meaning that this this is the Trinity, because we believe that, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. It's really fascinating in the Greek language, but he's appealing to Almighty God, and he's just praying to him. And I just think it's so important that we understand how we help people. How do you really help people? Number one, you teach them. And I believe teaching has to be both a message and a model. Number two, we warn people. Hey, watch out for that over there or that over there. Be careful of this. And number three, we pray for people. Not necessarily in that order, but this is how we help people. And Paul was so concerned with the church in Thessalonica. And even while he's fighting in his writing, he's praying. And he begins to pray for them, right? The Thessalonians were going through some heavy trials. And I know some of you here, you're going through heavy trials. Sometimes it's easy to see your trials. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could be maybe you're struggling with someone in your employment or your family. Other times it's just this internal turmoil at the and you can't even see it, but you know the enemy is after you, and so we pray right and as we see these guys were going through trials, they were being persecuted, they were being executed, and Paul prays for them and I want to encourage you guys, and I pray that we would catch that vision as a church to make sure that we're spending quality time, quality quantity time reading our Bible, and quality quantity time in prayer. Really praying. There's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. You know, I, I was thinking about this, uh, because, you know, uh, we got to make sure we never underestimate the fact that we get to not just greet God, but meet with God and, you know, just uh, was thinking about how, how how blessed I was, to be honest with you, that our president met with Pastor Saeed Abedini's wife, Nagma, last week. Did any of you guys hear about that? You know, and there was a, a big push for that. And I, and I think it's good that, that, that she met with the president. May it be instrumental uh, to secure his freedom where he is in Iran, incarcerated. He's been there for two and a half years unjustifiably so, they're in prison simply because he's a Christian. And so, you know, we're blessed that she was able to meet with our president, right? But we must remember that she has already met with God. And I and I started reading headlines like, like Renewed Hope and... And things like that. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm blessed that she was able to meet with our president. But man, you know, guys, she we have been meeting with God. And sometimes I think what ends up happening, you know, is we think that the man kind of has more influence, right? In some of way we got to be careful that we don't put our confidence in man or the things that man can do again i'm not saying that meeting with the president was bad but we have to make sure that we see it as an answer of prayer to god and meeting with god lest we move god to say no i won't release him due to the possibility that man might rob god of his glory or we might relinquish it to man if pastor saeed gets freed it's not because she met with the president it's because we met with god We have to know that. And again, praise God. He can use it. And God can set anyone free. And you just begin to pray. And you pray for your wife. You pray for your husband. You pray for your kids. You pray for your friends. You pray for your family. You pray for this city. And you watch what God will do. In helping people, we need to meet with God And this is what he prays, that God would comfort their hearts and establish them in every good word and work. The word comfort in the Greek it's parakaleo, it means to call to one's side. That God would kind of just come close, you know, give you a big hug, so to speak. You know, God's omnipresent, but there's those times where he just draws near. And I pray that I pray for you that God would comfort your heart, that he'd give you a big hug, that he would draw near to you and that you would find peace with his presence as a result of my prayer, right? I mean, that God would come by their side and and just settle their soul. And that's the bottom line. As we go through trials, we need to pray for each other, that God would be the perikaleo, And our brother and sister would be comforted in their hearts. And notice right here that God would establish them in every good word and work. You know, and that's important. And last night when I was just here, you know, after I did a few laps in the sanctuary, then I am just spending some time with the Lord. And I was just praying Bible for you. And I was so tempted, like, to get on the phone or do this or do that. And there are times to do that. But we got to be careful that we don't rob God of his glory. Sometimes he just wants you to pray for people. Because what he can do is so much greater than what we can do. And he just prayed God comfort their hearts, God establish them. You know, because we know the difficulty of living life without stability, and there's that inconsistency. And I'll be honest with you, when that happens to me, it's frustrating and it's discouraging. And that's why just a, a stability, a, a consistency, it, it it moves us to that that destination that God has for us. You know, I I was thinking about this AirAsia cla- uh, uh, flight, this crash, December twenty eighth, where I'm sure most, most of you have heard of it. One hundred sixty two uh, passengers died along with the crew, and and just you know they're trying to figure out why. At first they thought maybe it was a terrorist attack, but I think that the, the, all the pieces of the puzzle are coming in. They're finding that there was an instability in the flight, that for whatever reason they wanted to climb from 32,000 feet to 38,000 feet, but they were doing it at the wrong pace. Maybe they were putting too much pressure on themselves. I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but they were trying to climb the, the, the incline of what a, a jet uh, fighter plane would climb. Um, a commercial plane only supposed to do you know one two thousand feet, but they're going six, thousand feet, and as a result of that, what happens in the rapid ascent like that, it causes commercial jets to stall, and then once that commercial jet stalled, it began to, to plummet. And if you can just visualize a plane spiraling down, I see that sometimes in Christian lives. When the enemy takes them down, he controls them and defeats them. When all along, the lo- all along, all they needed was the stability that they can simply have in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ where they are accepted in the beloved. And then God does a work and he establishes you in your works and in your words. That's what he says right there. He you in every good word and work you know and and to me that that's pretty much the synopsis of life i have a book right here um it's called the words and works of jesus christ our life is summed up in our words and our works that's our life our words and works and so i know a lot of us here we need help with our words huh we keep saying things we shouldn't say you know how many of you here need help with your words you get say the wrong thing you get angry You know, uh, Lord, please help me. James says it's like a fire. You start a fire, man, sweetheart. I shouldn't have said that to her. It's going to take three days now to get things right or whatever, you know. (laughs) Got to buy her roses, take her out to dinner, you know. I don't know. The Bible says in the book of James that a perfect man is able to bridle his tongue. And you know what that means? A mature man. And that happens as we're praying for each other, as we're teaching, as we're heeding the warnings. And then just the works that we do, right? All the beautiful works that we are allowed to do because God gives us stability by His ability. Not mine. I've tried this. I can't. But He can help me. You know, I remember reading a book. It said that we are like gloves. So I don't know if any, how many of you here have gloves. I'm thinking more of the girls' gloves they're like flimsier, right? So we're like gloves. Um can't do anything. But God is like put he puts his hand in the glove. Oh, now I can go and feed the homeless. Oh, now I can slug the devil or whatever it might be. Right? You and I were we're impotent without God. We're like sails, you know. They're made of polyester, Dacron polyester. And if you could visualize a sail, it just sits lifeless on the sailboat. But once that sail is lifted and the power of the wind blows within it and upon it, then those sails are used to power that sailboat where they travel sometimes 150 miles a day. And we reach our destination, even sometimes through the storms of life. And Paul prays for God to establish them and make them stable and strong in their, in their words and in their works. Like I've told you guys a million times, man, we, we need both. We can't just be talkie-talkies. And we can't just be walkie-walkies, right? What do we have to be? Walkie-talkie. God will do the work. You're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which He prepared beforehand that you should walk in We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. remember, that Jesus loves you.